to another episode of Zero Fucks Given. I'm Carson Block, joined by Freddie Brick and our Smash and Grabs. So uh, thanks for tuning in and how's it going, man? Yeah, well, look, welcome back, man. I'm, uh, I'm just glad that you're alive. As we, we took some time off from filming. As all six, uh, maybe eight actually, based on some interactions I had the other week. Uh, as all eight of our viewers know, um, we missed an episode a couple weeks ago. And why don't you tell everyone why that was? Because you gave me COVID, bitch. Yeah, I did. And lo and behold, you spent like two years hiding out, worried about COVID, and finally you get it, and it wasn't so bad, was it? Yeah, no, well, uh, so to be totally honest, obviously you didn't give it to me. I think my daughter was patient zero, and then the rest of us got it, and right. we gave it to this other family that was staying with us. Um, so we, and we were in California, so what was supposed to be a long weekend trip turned into two weeks, unfortunately. But uh, that's why we missed yeah, filming the other week. So apologies to our faithful eight viewers. Mm. And uh, But the cool thing is you like spending time in California so much, right? Well, <laughs> I mean, God, what a beautiful place. But people so managed to fuck that up. I mean, going back before we came down with COVID and going around and seeing like my best friends in town who basically were just people who worked behind the counter in the deli or, or whatever. Um, we didn't have a lot of social connections there, it turns out. But um, yeah, it, just hearing them bitch about water restrictions. So this mm -hmm. one deli that I went to, and they're asking me how Texas is, and we started on, off on taxes, and then get into water. And they're talking about how, yeah, we're not allowed to power wash our store or mm -hmm. our driveway. And now we get all these reviews that say, oh, the food's really good, but it looks grungy on the outside. And when I thought about this, you know, this this whole thing really, I mean, California is so fucked up. Mm -hmm. And I think the electorate is so rotted because it really, it's like, how did California fail to plan for this? So I've lived there, I lived there in the 90s for, I think, eight years. And then um, lived there for another 11 years, um, you know, this century. And it's, it's like, there's always this, you know, oh, we're re you know we're imposing taxes on gasoline mm -hmm. to reduce carbon uh, emissions, or you know we were imposing restrictions on this. You know, your toilets you can't you can't have this kind of toilet, and it was. Can you imagine if they did both of those? How fucked Uber's business model would be. Well, Uber obviously. Well, Uber and all of those gig economy businesses were almost forced out of the state during the pandemic, which, sure. you know, for people who are always bitching about, oh, Amazon, you know, especially during the pandemic, the way it treated its workers and Uber, this and that, it's like, these guys were kind of the the runners up, the MVP during the pandemic. Yep. Because without these, you know, without, say, Amazon, there would have been so many more COVID cases You'd because- You'd starved and died. There was no yeah, way, like peak, peak COVID, you were so paranoid, you were actually spritzing down packages, right? Yeah, death by starvation, I felt was better than death by COVID. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that, that's what my family and I would have chosen. But anyway, I, it, I'm back in November, um, I read this op-ed in the San Jose Mercury News about this one, like one of the many taxes on gas in California, mm -hmm. which by the way, I filled up um, in California a couple weeks ago at over $6 a gallon cost me $4 a gallon here in Texas. I think you were saying you filled up this past weekend in California at like seven a gallon. Seven right? a gallon. So my, my idea around that actually, what I wanted to do, is it occurred to me like years ago in the UK when gas first went above like a pound a liter, I was like, 
how much is like a carton of orange juice? Like the shittiest, cheapest, like freshly squeezed orange juice. I'm like, holy shit, like this is like more expensive than orange juice. Now gas has gotten so expensive in California. I wonder if a gallon is more expensive than the shittiest champagne that you can buy in bulk quantities. And I wanna set up next to like a really expensive gas station, a champagne station and people just like, come by and there's loads of Brits in LA so they're like totally fucking down for this come by and then you just like sit back in a dentist chair and they like gun your face with champagne I, I think it's a fucking awesome idea and there's um, it's it would be interesting to actually compare that and see whether you can buy champagne for less per gallon in California than you can buy gas but here's the thing when I was reading that op-ed it was talking about one of the myriad taxes that's a 30 cents per gallon tax that went into effect in 2010. And the purpose of this tax, supposedly, is to reduce carbon emissions. Mm -hmm. And so in this op-ed, they're calling the tax a success because they're saying it reduced emissions from 2010 to 2020 by 38 million tons of carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a big number. So I looked at that versus the US's total carbon dioxide output in that time and that was 0.067% of the US's emissions. So this, and the cost, when I multiplied it by the number of gallons sold, mm -hmm. the cost to California consumers was $48.8 billion. So California over 10 years paid 40, Californians paid $48.8 billion to do what? To put the tiniest little dent in US carbon dioxide emissions, not to mention globally. And see, this is what pisses me off mm -hmm. when I really think about the situation there is, I think you've had politics there when it comes to these matters dominated by two groups. So you get the people who the are crazies these, and the really crazies? No, the crazies and the cynics. Okay. So the crazies- Wonder which one of those groups you fall into. Well, okay, call it the cynical. Okay. Being cynical is different from, I think, being a cynic. Maybe not, but I'll explain in a moment. So the crazies say, ah, global warming, you know, we need to do something about it. And gee, if California just imposes these taxes and flushes, you know, fewer turds down the toilet, then, you know, we can, everybody will follow us and we'll stop this catastrophe called climate change, which is bullshit. I mean, when you look at the rest of the world, let alone the rest of the country, People are not going to modify their behavior just because in California they're taxing themselves an extra $49 billion over 10 mm -hmm. years or leaving their turds in the toilet. You say that, and I haven't inspected your toilet, but I mean, you did move to Texas and you've added like at least another 12,000 horsepower to your driveway. Well, it's it's in process. The, the GT3 is, you know, I'm, I'm on, that's on order. That's going to take a while. Which, by the way, that just won Motor Trend 2022 Performance Car of the Year. Porsche 911 GT3. Did you get paid for that plug? <laughs> I mean, if they moved me up like a fucking day in the queue, I'd be pretty happy. But um, but anyway, um, so so you get these idealists who say, let's you know, let's change behavior in California because that'll make a difference. Does not. But then you get the politicians who are like, oh, this is awesome, right? Like more tax rev, you know, another $49 billion in tax rev. Mm -hmm. I can throw this at more public employee unions and buy more votes and, you know, shower goodies on other people and placate them to buy more or votes. Or just change the name of eight schools. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> yeah, like yeah, Paul, Paul Revere, that, yeah. that racist, because I looked at Wikipedia and misinterpreted, you know, the battle of whatever. But anyway, that's that's the thing with California. The California has really, the electorate has allowed the politicians to saddle the people with a bunch of shit that isn't going to change anything. And they failed to prepare for climate change. Mm -hmm. So when you think about the water shortage and we're ripping out our lawn right now in our California house and replacing it with turf because, you know, water's a problem, a desal plant costs like a billion dollars. That's 49 desal okay. plants that could have been paid for with that fucking money I alone. I just had a thought. What about replacing it with an ice rink? <laughs> <laughs> I like, well, you know, when we live in a wildfire, we used to live in a wildfire area. That's where the house is. You know, maybe, do you want to be, if you're in the middle of a fire NATO, do you want to be on an ice rink? You, is that a good idea or not? It's a good question. All right, well. For a while, yes. Okay, well. eventually, no. Okay, well, so we've covered, you know, one of the upsides of moving to Texas, which is we've moved away from the just, Mm -hmm. Life retardation in California. Now, Texas, many advantages. What's the update on your ICBM? Can you own that bitch or what? I have not made as much progress on my ICBM as you would think. Uh, it's it's kind of similar to the current status of my driving license. So um, you're like missing the quarter on this or, you know, so bad quarter? It turns out it is highly, highly illegal for the people that have the ICBMs on their land to sell it. Now, that's under federal law, but what about Texas state law? Right. So here's the thing. I was like, okay, so I actually was at a wedding this weekend, and I met a guy who worked at a competitor to the Boring Company. Uh, so it was kind of interesting. This was... And it was like the other tunneling company. It's um, backed by like Virgin and the Qataris. So uh, trying to work out who the smart money we, out of that. Can we pay is. homage to the fact that there shouldn't even be one company that's just digging fucking holes in the ground? <laughs> so, but... so it was kind of interesting. He said like, you know, their approach to this is kind of like iterating. They've, they've managed to make some cargo and some humans go at like, I want to say it was like over about two miles at like, 250 miles underground. I was like, who was the first human to volunteer for that? Um, but it got me thinking, okay, it's illegal for them to like sell these things and me to transport them. Those seem to be like two very key illegal parts of it. However, I was like, well, have you guys been down there for a while? He's like, no, not since we got the place. I'm like, well, if you haven't, who else has? So my thinking is, and Elon, if you're listening, because, uh, you don't have enough on your plate. Um, what about getting the boring company to kind of just tunnel them under and before you know it, shoot them across the US, they'll pop up in my back garden. So that is the current plan to evade the significant illegality of moving and selling them. So, so what about this though? Since my view is that Elon buys Twitter solely so he can exercise more control over society and politics, mm -hmm. if that doesn't work, Stealing ICBMs through the boring company is the ultimate failsafe. <laughs> I could always just fire them over. It's like the nuclear powers of the world, right? Like you know, US, UK, Israel, Pakistan, India, Russia, um, maybe Iran, North mm -hmm. Korea, and Elon Musk. Speaking of the nuclear powers, I 
have thought of a solution to the whole nuclear war in Europe thing. Okay, so to keep you, it in Europe, right? <laughs> Which yes, you know, it's fucking way <laughs> mainland Europe for sure. Anyway, um, so it, it kind of got me thinking. The war in Ukraine is tragic and horrible, and it's not going well for Putin. A lot of people are incredibly scared that he might actually use a nuclear weapon. Now, there was actually a pretty close runoff in France, or closer than like anyone really wants it to get, with Le Pen. So I'm thinking there's like a kind of, we could do everyone a favor here. Maybe what Macron does, he picks up the phone to Putin, he's like, look, this is the area that is most densely populated with her like core base of support. You need to look strong to the Russians. Why don't you just lob a nuke over? That gets my approval rating way up by just removing some voters. You get to look strong domestically. I really don't give a fuck about those people anyway. It seems to solve a lot of problems for everyone. But why wouldn't Putin just nuke Macron's base? Well, it's a good question. It is. I figure, like, it's just a nice way for us to all kind of pull back from, like, what is fast becoming, like, a really scary atrocity. Well, maybe you could just say, take all the unreasonable people as deemed by us in the mm -hmm. world and, like, you know, put them somewhere and let no. Putin nuke well, them. Well, I thought that was Germany. <laughs> yeah. We are not advocating for nuking Germany. But maybe nah, but, Austria. Know. They haven't really apologized. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Well, since, as you're fond of pointing out, I'm not actually half Jewish because it's on my father's side, not my mother's, you know, I don't give a fuck. That's right. I'm advocating for Austria. Okay. He's indifferent. <laughs> yeah, I just have to figure out, like, which place I like least. Fair. Speaking of things we like least, Bill Huang had a bad week. Um, you know, he was actually indicted on my birthday. No way. Yeah, I don't like to make a big deal about my birthday, but that, that kind of was the thing. Huh. When's your birthday? <laughs> April 27th. Okay. Same Bill day Huang every day. day. Okay. National, Bill Huang, National Inter Huang International day. Huang Day. Hmm. So a few things. Firstly, he's the ultimate vest bro. I mean, the guy gets pinched in a vest. I don't know if you saw the pictures. I mean, yeah. and credit to him. He actually looked like pretty how, fucking suave. Now, how do you know? Remember when Justin Bieber got like arrested for fucking toilet papering his neighbor's house or something. Yeah. And so they sent a bunch of like, you know, his management companies like, okay, you know, no more trying to sell mm -hmm. to like teenage girls. Now you gotta be hard. So they sent a bunch of like hard looking dudes to walk out of mm -hmm. the jail with him and you know, they made him like I don't know, they gave him something that looked made him look a little bit harder, like maybe he came out in a wife beater or something. Um, so how do you know his lawyer didn't bring the vest in? Are you sure he was wearing that vest when he was arrested? Okay, fair point. I don't. But, uh, yeah, I gotta say, like, I mean, the guy looked pretty relaxed. I mean, he already lost fucking $35 billion, you know, like, True. once you stared that demon in the face. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I, I gotta say, like, reading the indictment, I, there were actually two real questions for me. Uh, Matt Levine covered some of this, uh, namely, like, what was the exit game? What I am really curious about is sort of when this started. So the indictment focuses on March of 2020 onwards for the most part. And so you know, here's a guy who had about a billion and a half of equity in the account. I don't know what he went you know, from and to to get there. Um, you know, I don't know what his like, starting capital was in his family office, but 
obviously he had compounded real wealth through some method or another. And what I kind of wonder is, was he previous to that worth like three billion, got smoked in March of 2020 and then decided to kind of do this? Like it's, it's quite unusual that from having an amount of money that like, look, I don't know what you can buy with three that you can't buy with one and a half. It's a pretty small list. And he didn't live big by all accounts. So I, what I'm really interested to understand just from like a personal point of view is like, what happened that even if he was doing this in small size, he was squeezing, he had similar techniques in terms of understanding float dynamics. What made him say like, okay, I'm doing this on a kind of like $10 billion notional size with about a billion and a half of equity capital to like, I need to do this like in hundred plus billion dollar size. Like what was it that made him think that like the switch flick? So there's so much that that's interesting here. Um, and to state the obvious, and I've, I've said this publicly numerous mm -hmm. times since 2020, I believe that Bill Huang is a manipulator. I didn't say in 2020 Bill Huang because didn't entirely know that it was he who manipulated GSX, mm -hmm. but I said numerous times that GSX is obviously mm -hmm. manipulated stock. So I think yes, okay, he manipulated. Now, what's kind of to your question, so the first layer of all this, um, I don't know what, I haven't, the, the indictment and the SEC complaint to my recollection, don't contain what he was worth at as of March 1st of 2020 or what the capital right. was. But it sounded like he took some losses mm -hmm. in March of 2020 when COVID first hit. Unlike but us, who just took them off the... <laughs> yeah, because of him, <laughs> yeah. like, we made money. We were up like, you know, a decent amount. Yeah. In, we without, looked quite smart. With, yeah, without having published shit. Yeah. So I, I was thinking like it's, I mean, I, I literally like I felt guilty about how much money I thought I was going to make in 2020, like when the world was burning. I, I, had, I fucking I had felt so much fucking Schadenfreude. It was like coursing through my veins. I mean, there was Schadenfreude, but for yeah. people who weren't in the market, like I was just like, wow, I've, you know, by the end of March, I've already made yeah. as much money as I did all of last year. No, I know. I better give this away. You sold like three suffering. of your eight cars. <laughs> <laughs> I gave them away. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so anyway, it says that as of the end of, as of March 31st, 2020, uh, capital at, uh, like I like calling it arch egos, but um, whatever, I don't know, people maybe push back, arch egos, was one and a half billion dollars. Mm -hmm. Then by the end of 2020, he, capital was apparently 7.7 .7 billion. So exponential mm -hmm. increase. But then by March 1st of 2021, that 7.7 .7 was 36 billion in capital. So that that's the first mm -hmm. thing i mean this guy went from like you know i mean he's a billionaire he's a player but he's not the biggest billionaire just this as the stock you know the stock charts mm -hmm. you know, kind of reflect that um so that's the first thing is 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 why but why the so according to these the complaint in the indictment the strategy he changed strategy so went from one where he was listening to his analysts, he was thinking mm -hmm. about fundamental or what the valuations were. What's also interesting actually is that he was running at a higher leverage ratio before COVID hit. So it said at the end of, or as of Jan 1, I think of 2020, or maybe 
it, he was at about 6.7 times leverage. Okay. So that's his pre-COVID level of leverage. By the time he blew up, he was inside five. So he actually was less levered at that point. CS is so fucking cautious with their leverage. It must have been that. Well, I love that. I mean, he was only a CS client for like three months and stuffed him with 5.5 B. So, um, yeah. but the, um, but. And funnily enough, Barclays have just hired the CS prime brokerage team. What the fuck are you guys thinking? <laughs> I want to reiterate that November 15th, 2013, I know the date because I was in the delivery room waiting for my son to be born. <laughs> I got a call from the guy at Credit Suisse, which I thought they were going to be like prime. Um, and they said, no, nah, I went to a rep risk committee. I've never seen this before, but they said you're too much of a rep reputation risk and uh, we're not going to prime for muddy waters. That was peak reputation for CS. <laughs> <laughs> that took like, you know, a few years for the whole thing to unwind. You know, CS has been actually kind of interesting. I, I think we've internally long been saying how fucked up it is, and Deutsche really monopolized that in the headlines for a very, very long time. But if you actually really go back and you piece it out from even like 16, 17, like the Tunabon scandal, um, and a bunch of like client money they were hiring, like it actually started like a long, long time ago, the kind of rot there. So, you know, good marketing for not being Deutsche Bank, but I mean, that, that place has been a disaster for a long, long time. Well, I think they're one of uh, Chamath's primary bankers, right? Right, so from disgraced former finances to disgraced continuing financier. <laughs> Present, Present financier. financier. Um, so Chamath published his annual letter to somewhat less fanfare. Um, what's really interesting is there was some notable absences. He decided not to compare himself to Warren Buffett, who is up, um, because that would be inappropriate. Because the last Ch well, the last time Chamath compared himself to Warren Buffett, right? It was like that was that was the top tick, right? Yeah. Um, but would a comparison now, like you know, that be a good omen? You know, like bounce? Probably. Buy, buy the dip in Chamath? Nah. <laughs> yeah. Well, not yet. That's, it's still catching a falling knife here. So, in addition to that, he decided not to market the performance of his numerous SPACs. And I haven't tracked all of them. Uh, I wonder if he's just being really modest and they've all done really well. Oh, wait, no. They've been an absolute fucking car crash disaster after sucking in all that retail money and just absolutely hemorrhaging the fuck out of them before he dumps his stake. I don't know, dude. Do you know that he, can you state for a fact that he has not generated alpha? If we define alpha as benchmarked against all SPACs of that time period, have have Chamath SPACs actually underperformed other SPACs? You know or what? did they outperform other dog shit SPACs? We're going to find that out, and we'll be back to you in a couple weeks. So oh, This sounds like the subject of a Twitter poll. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, we um, should, okay. So maybe we do that, somebody will actually give the answer, and we don't have to do the work. But he did make an interesting point. I was, I was listening to the All In podcast, which I like, actually. And, you know, despite being a complete... Why, why don't they call it Below My Line? I think they wanted to do that, and I'm pretty sure at some point he just Somebody wanted, else trademarked it. Right. He probably really wants to just call it Chamath is the Greatest Podcast. But um, 
look, not everything that comes out of his mouth is total garbage and self-serving. I mean, one point he made that I thought was really interesting. Well, it's always self-serving, but it's not always total garbage. This is That's... true. You're right. And to bring it back to self-serving. So in his letter, he presents a number of different metrics for the performances of his fund. So it's IRR on paper, gross IRR, net IRR, and DPS, which I think is like, you know, distributable, like private shit. Oh, no, it's not. But uh, I think it should start to be called distributable private shit, trademarked. Um, How about dope ass? Uh... It's going to be hard to think on the spot. Mm, yeah, that's true. <laughs> we'll be back to you on distributable private shit. Um, <laughs> but... Um, it is interesting because there isn't really a standard for presentation in, in private funds. And I, I think it was one of the other guys on the podcast, David Sachs, who said, you know, the first ever venture fund, I think, that he put money into, he finally, like, got his money back now after 16 years because these funds are, like, 10-year life. But with it, you know, within venture, the whole staying private for longer thing has really extended some of these funds to kind of, like, 16 to 20 years in terms of like getting the dollars back and i think on this fund it was like a 2.6 or 2.7 times money return which when you annualize that's like six to seven percent return now you think about it if you allocate whatever amount of money you're going to allocate to venture which is typically very small for most people given like the risk so let's say you allocate like 1% of your net worth to it. In 15 years time, if things have gone okay, that's likely to not be a significant amount of money to you. So great. In 15 years time, you get back like a, even in top tier funds, like a 30% IRR. And if it isn't like, and you really needed that money, you've been locked up for all these years in a shitty fund that's put up like 6%. I mean, what a dog shit asset class. Now, of course, we'll probably be out raising a venture fund in the next couple of years, I'd imagine. So uh, no one should pay any real attention to that. But, uh. Well, I think the main point is that you don't have daily marks to market. Right. That's what keeps the allocators happy because mm -hmm. you can kind of make shit up for a number of years anyway. Yep. The person who made the decision to allocate to your fund, they use that great performance you've mm -hmm. been reporting based on marks to get their next job. And so they're like one or two chairs removed by the time True. anybody realizes that, yeah, actually this wasn't such great investment. Mm. Speaking of other not such great investments, numbers are out for uh, Tiger. Arc obviously um, had a pretty aggressively bad month. So, uh, so I think Tiger and Arc basically are, you know, over the past year or so, I think they've lost about some, you know, roughly down about the same amount of money. A percentage I, wise, right? I actually think Kathy might be outperforming. Think Kathy? Yeah. Yeah, I okay. think Kathy is outperforming. I don't know if it was the hedge fund or the long only fund, but I, I think Kathy may be outperforming. That would be fucked up because Tiger, of course, has a short book. So if Kathy Woods' well, long Kathy. dog shit, long only dog shit book outperforms Tiger's long dog shit short, you'd hope some kind of dog shit yep. book. And if she outperforms Tiger, like that's, you know, it's yeah. pretty bad. Plus, you know, she's cheaper, and you can get, I'm sure, like much better liquidity terms than whatever, like a hedge fund rate. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, who'd have thought it? Here we are amongst a pretty brutal tech sell-off, and we're telling you how smart we think Kathy Wood is. 
<laughs> yeah, on a rel well, like, on a relative basis. Although, like, Tiger's obviously extremely sharp. They have very sharp people. Mm -hmm. But I think what this goes to show, it's just, as I've said before, there's this paradigm that mm -hmm. existed post-GFC, yeah. and now we're shifting paradigms. And it's like Bill Gurley had mm -hmm. a tweet on this, uh, or basically that was relevant to this idea that we're shifting and what's gonna be the case going forward is gonna be way different, but that so many people have this muscle memory or where they're stuck in the prior paradigm. So I think there's two things to that. Firstly, look, we were as guilty as anyone else of being stuck in a paradigm that like risk mattered. Um, <laughs> Stocks might go down. Right. So we were no, but I mean, I, I, for a long time. I remember when I first joined Muddy Waters and think like, oh, you know, next year we're sort of like, whatever it was, like six years past the crisis and like, you know, things come in like seven year cycles and like next year could be the year for Chinese companies to really take a share. Eh, actually, Alibaba, I think IPO'd and since then. yeah. Yeah, so. The year I, you joined, yeah. Yeah, so I, I kind of look at that and I think, you know, there we were probably saying like how stupid Amazon was and like, we didn't get it, right? Rates were low. They were gonna stay low for a really, really long time. That pushed the cash flows and the DCF all the way back out, and you know. I've, well, the thing is, we know nobody looks at fucking cash flows. Like that's what's so that, frustrating. That's true, about but that. it was a good it, excuse true, to pile in. And then there was this kind of passive dynamic that you know had been taking over for a really long time, and so we were as slow as anyone to realize that paradigm shift, and that was pretty painful. And you know, in terms of just like trying to work out like well like what why doesn't anyone care that Carvana like is just setting money on fire and it turns out like no one cared for a really long time until pretty recently actually um and what i've found interesting given most my contemporaries are kind of you know in their like mid-30s so most of them really started in markets at a point that it matters kind of post-08 post yeah their entire frame of reference, and this goes back to the Bill Gurley uh, tweet, is, well, this is cheap versus its IPO. Um, or, oh, like, look at this, now trading where it was in 18, but revs are 2x. And they don't really have a framework for thinking about things differently, the same way we didn't in terms of, like, understanding the macro. Like, They've never seen rates rising apart from like three weeks in 2018. And then we're like, oh, that's kind of scary. Differences, we now have inflation. Um, so what, what I find really interesting is I think the penny is still slow to drop. I think there's a lot of people out there who are looking at previous valuation metrics as some sort of benchmark. They're looking at, well, this was you know down 70% from here, down 90% from there. And they're having a hard time adjusting, especially when like large parts of their career have been, and probably their financial success, have been wedded to doing things a certain way, kind of evaporating. And I, I think you, you know, where I have like real respect for certain fund managers who have been in the business for 20, 30, 40 years is they've A, been able to adapt, and they've also not necessarily had like a moral imprint and allowed necessarily like their moral view of what's happening to impact the way they invest or trade. Because I, I think a lot of short sellers felt that what was going on with asset prices and basically bailing people out in a way and 
keeping rates at zero. And I think we certainly fell after um, the COVID crash in March of 2020. We felt it was just totally immoral what was going on, that like all these private equity firms were bailed out and all of these incredibly levered fund managers were bailed out and the rates were being kept at zero. And I, I think that drove some of our compulsion to stay short for a period in 2020, whereas regardless of what we felt was the right thing to do or what should happen or what might practically be happen with some of these companies, I mean, to kind of digress, I saw Carnival Cruises, there was another cruise ship that like got smoked with COVID the other week. And, you know, we long thought like no one's going to be back in the office and COVID's going to be around well, for a while. Well, but well I think our couldn't... assumption was also, to yeah. be fair, that COVID was more deadly than it actually is. How do you know it's not? <laughs> But again, like, you know, we, we had this kind of like moral compunction that like this was the wrong thing and it was terrible and it was going to cause inflation. And it was bad long term. And I think we really let a, that influence our decision making versus like, I mean, I can't think of anyone other than like Stan Druckenmiller off the top of my head. And I really like to be like as good as his left toenail. But it's like, you know, he just like, look this is the way it is and like I'm just gonna play it the way it is like I don't have like a moral view on these things he, he's often kind of fond of saying like you know weak uh, strongly uh, strong view weakly held kind of thing and mm-hmm. yeah, it's really impressive when people can do that because I, I think we've suffered from that well we have the reason that we have though is the way I view it and I know there are plenty of like retail people who you know will argue against that because they always DM me telling me to like get my anal beads ready for help or get some to help me get ready for prison. Um, We have a business that's built on enforcing morality in the markets. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's been hard to see things without that, that morality filter around them. But I do think going back to 2020 and, and things were moving so fast. I remember at the end of February, you know, I'm paying attention to COVID. I'm, I was early in the toilet paper trade. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I was fully stocked the fuck up on toilet paper by, you know, probably second week in February. And we get to near the end of February, and I think it was Evercore did a survey of their institutional clients. And they asked whether they thought COVID would be economically significant. And it was a reasonable majority thought that, no, it would be a non-event. Mm-hmm. And so the way that... I looked at it at that time was, okay, all of these years of suppressing risk premia, and I was saying this actually before COVID, the end of 2019, mm-hmm. have anesthetized investors to risk. And so this is a symptom of that, where there's this, there's this pandemic that's breaking out around the globe. It's highly contagious. It's lethal. Um, and people are just lulled, have been so lulled into complacency that they can't see it. So we shorted a bunch of shit that mm-hmm. we weren't talking about publicly, including cruise lines. And so we were up big at the end of March without having lifted a finger in terms of having gone public. And, you know, I think that for me, I don't think it was an overemphasis on the morality of, oh, it's wrong to bail out all these private equity. Because it's not. It's what, it's what should be done. I mean, how else <laughs> would Steve Schwartzman be able to take home like $10 billion, which of course he can donate to worthy causes like Tsinghua University? Yeah. There's so much to unpack there. But as you know, 
what I plan to do with my money, whatever it is when I pass, um, is that I plan to find a worthy cause and mandate that that money be used to buy lottery tickets and have the lottery tickets donated to that worthy cause. So that's my... Are you thinking single week though? Because you, there, there was a book I read actually, but I, th- I want to say it was in Australia. And if it wasn't in Australia, it's going to be a better story if it was in Australia. <laughs> I think there were two guys who the... I want to say the jackpot got big enough because there's some, I think it's like 13 million and something like potential um, permutations in the lottery. I think they like raised the fund to buy like 13 million tickets. I'm going to, I'll be back to you with this next week with the actual details. But um, I think they raised the fund to buy like 13 million lottery tickets whenever it got large enough that even if it was divided by like five times, you were still going to come out at like a... 2x. Oh yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm convinced that this will make me one of the great philanthropists of our age. Uh. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, um, back to morality and scumbaggery, though. Really interesting stuff you were tweeting today, and um, in case you were wondering, do I read our Twitter? No, he told me about it. Because um, it's not enough for me to have like all these retweets and likes. It, what really matters is the admiration that you express in the office for well, my tweets. Well, we did once have an intern, actually, that I, that I caught watching videos of you. Um, Next I'm, to the videos of, like, Wendy Dung, that one. Yeah, that guy yeah. was a creep. Um, I was convinced he was starting wildfires on the weekend. Um, and killing cats. Was fun. <laughs> yes. But uh, I did walk over and, like... Uh, what, are what you if doing? he's one of our eight viewers? Mm. Whatever. I could lose that guy to have seven. It would be fine. Um, I did walk over. I'm like, uh, what are you doing over there? He's like, oh, I'm just watching videos. I'm like, he's sitting over there. You can really just go up and talk to him. It was super creepy. But um, anyway, back to morality. I don't think, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> Why don't you watch more videos of me? <laughs> Our internet's so shitty in the office. Anyways, back to morality. Um, Because, in part because our outsourced IT provider was bought by private equity. I got it. I mean, absolutely nothing gets better in a business that is bought by private equity. Yeah. Absolutely (laughs) fucking nothing. Nothing. By the way, not that you guys, like, you know, are switched on by any means, but anybody from our private equity-owned IT service provider actually paying Mm. attention... We are so fucking switching. Like now we've just gotten past our audit for the year. We are so switching. This is bullshit. Fuck you, private equity. Not just for this. Fuck you for so many reasons, but fuck you, really. Man, it's going to suck when you go to a uh, hospital and need any treatment and they're going to be like, oh, either, <laughs> wait a minute, this guy's the fuck you private equity. Oh, don't touch this guy. No, but we can build a fuck. Nah, let him, let him, roll, let him bleed out. Steve Schwartzman fuck him pavilion. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, back to immorality, private equity. Um, so it turns out Saudis kind of were behind 9-11. Saudi immorality, private equity, these things do belong in the same sentence. They do. Um, yeah, so anyway, what, um, like I, I have asked myself so many times why I subscribe to Business Insider. Mm-hmm. And I- Don't we get it free with Bloomberg? I don't think so, mm-hmm. no. 
So I subscribed to Business Insider. You get nothing free with Bloomberg. <laughs> like you literally get nothing no, with Bloomberg. That, that's, that's another like you know God. fuck you basically. Yeah. I mean, that, free and Bloomberg do not belong in the same sentence. Yeah, no, such I mean, a fucking awesome business. Yeah, it's actually it's actually really fucked up. Like I, it automatically renews for two years. Yeah. Right. So we just. We just had some turnover, right? We had a person leave right after the fucking Bloomberg contract renewed for two years. I was apoplectic. I, I just, whatever. Like, another business that I really want to see disrupted. You know, it's like, that's, I didn't feel bad for taxi cabs when Uber came along. Mm-hmm. Because it was like, guys, you drive like shit. You don't take care of your, your fucking cars. And in many cities, you're, you know, it's like, I got to suck dick to get a taxi. Like, that's how San Francisco was. Mm-hmm. Not just because it's San Francisco, I mean. But anyway, there, it it was so, yeah. So anyway, like, Bloomberg's the same way. It's just It's like the taxi cab industry were waiting for the Uber to come along for financial data. But, but you know what? I'll, I'll take the other side. Okay. I think it makes me look cool. Like, when I'm out and I have to check stock price and people are like, oh, what's that? I'm like... Bloomberg on my phone and they're like oh can I get that I'm like no you can't so many years ago a person whom you know as ball sweat told me that Bloomberg did market research and they asked their users hey how would you feel about a simplified user interface and that the majority of users or it was overwhelming they said no because they want their clients to think that there's some something special that they do, some special skill in using a Bloomberg. Like it makes them look oh, smarter because okay. they can actually figure out this, like, honestly, Did shitty I, user interface. I, I gotta tell you, that makes a lot of sense because I do feel smarter. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Now look, I'm not gonna, I wouldn't ever stake my life on anything Ball Sweat tells me. True, But. but I can believe that. Yeah. Gonna, I, I can believe that you're too. You're gonna cancel the Bloomberg and go back to Yahoo Finance subscription, which, by the way, is free and actually gives you free prices. Like it's honestly easier to use. I mean, there are definitely like, you know, yeah. There are times when uh, you know we're we're trading something and I, like turning opening up the computer to deal with Bloomberg and the virtual fucking machine and get the B unit, which is you know maybe I lost it and they're gonna charge me a hundred dollars. Is a pain in the ass, and I just oh, sit God. there with the Yahoo Finance, and I hit refresh to get like the real time pricing. And it's doing that is honestly easier than using Bloomberg. Oh, I don't know whether to tell you this because I think it's going to upset you, and I don't want to trigger you. It's not a hundred bucks for a B unit. I think it's like five hundred now. Now, Jesus Christ! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they now they, to be they, shameless. They, they need, you know, like they, I'm sure they're made in China. They just right. need to make them in Xinjiang to like keep a lid on the inflation now. there. To be shameless about this, Bloomberg, next week we'll say really nice things about you if you agree to sponsor the podcast. We're shameless. We'll we'll whore ourselves out. Well, there's apparently going to be a Bloomberg article coming out on us or me pretty oh, soon. So okay. Maybe we should have held this, but yeah. whatever. Um, okay. Show us that journalistic independence. <laughs> exactly. Prove to it. Prove it to us. Say nice things. Say nice things. Um, so back to Saudi. Right. So it turns out that... And, and this is a big issue as far as I'm concerned with the U.S. government. But um, recently declassified information as well as information that was obtained from the U.K. government by 9-11 victim uh, family plaintiffs um, shows that So there was always this. It, it was well known after 9-11 that there was a Saudi 
citizen mm-hmm. who lived in LA who had met with the the two Public of the hijackers Bridges. and had been a co-signer for a lease of a house in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And the question was, well, was this guy a co-conspirator? And you know, there was no evidence to suggest that. So it turns out that he was actually he he paid Intel asset or officer, Saudi Saudi Intel asset or officer. So he received a monthly stipend from okay. Saudi's Intel agency. His mandate was to gather Intel and report back to the then Saudi ambassador to the US, Prince Bandar, oh fuck it, I can't remember the rest, but you know, like there are three so or four know, words this- after that. So, so this guy was like Saudi Intel, right? And he met with, these, with, the, with two of the hijackers, he helped them get a place, and then what was recently obtained in, uh, through litigation from the UK government were notes from this guy, um, the, you know, the LA guy who helped the San Diego hijackers. So he, notes he had written prior to 9-11 mm-hmm. that include a diagram of a plane, a building. So hopefully we're, like, we're gonna show this in the video version of this, yeah. I think we're this, showing This is it. actually pretty and, fucking like, mind-blowing. And calculations relating to the glide slope of the plane in order to hit the building. So Saudi Intel asset um, seemingly having knowledge like that he documented um, beforehand, before the attack. And this information was in the possession of you know, the United States government when the whole 9-11 commission was occurring. And the 9-11 commission, I don't, look, I don't know enough to say that there was good faith or bad faith on the part of the commission. I believe that it was good faith, that they didn't have this information. So they said there was no evidence to support the allegation or the, the line of thinking that Saudi Arabia was involved in this. But based on this, the Saudi government, I think, I mean, the reasonable interpretation of this is senior people within the Saudi government and Saudi intel knew about 9-11. They assisted with 9-11. And guess what? Fucking VCs in Silicon Valley are still tripping over themselves to take that fucking Saudi money, even with that coming out. But that is some crazy shit that like the US government has kept that covered up and hidden for so long. I mean, it's just it's just one of these things that really like I I hate the attacks on our institutions of government. Mm -hmm. But yeah, sometimes you have to look at this stuff and say, what the fuck? You know, it's like kind of like the Supreme Court in the whole abortion thing. You know, like, yeah, I have my view and I don't want to get into that. But when you have the court abrogate a, what apparently was a constitutional right, yep. um, that was clearly this abrogation occurred clearly because one party was able to exercise power and kind of, you know, in a way like pack the court. And then it le- it leaked. I mean, the leak itself is abhorrent. The leak is abhorrent. It's, it's yes. quite similar to the the tax uh, information that was leaked. It's it's just another way that like there is corrosion of a process that exists. It's 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 unhealthy. Now, again, like going back to this, there's actually a bunch of interesting theories as to whether it was someone on the left or the right who yeah. leaked it. And well, everybody says, "Oh, false flag." You know, right, so it's, it's like what we're conditioned yeah, to think now. Exactly, but it's it's just another 
it's continued erosion uh, for institutions. Yeah, it really, and, and so when I see things like the cover-up of Saudi involvement in 9-11, you know, with the, just the fucking zoo that SCOTUS has become, not because of the leak, it's just, that's the latest manifestation, but it, it just sucks, man. Like, I mean, really, I, I don't know, do we not have enough people of goodwill to fill government positions and, like, try to salvage what's left of our institutions and rebuild Well, them. if they're gonna ban Congress trading, like what's the fucking point of going in government anymore? <laughs> I mean, like, the last but, remaining. But, 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 but do you really think they're gonna ban trading by people in Congress? Nah. And that's what, like, that's AOC's proposal. Like, yeah. you know, good luck. Yeah, no chance. By the way, I, I wanna say this about AOC. She does it for me. Yeah? My wife knows this. She yeah. does it for me. Yeah. Okay. So. All right, fuck it, I wanna say it. Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> your trading record, that oh, does it for me. That, that does it that for me too. That does it for that me. That does it for <laughs> me too. <laughs> like that really gets She's me going. sharp. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just, you know, just think of what you look like in her 20s with the trading record and. No, 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 you're thinking about this the wrong way. Think about what she'd look like at 88 in ill health with that bank balance build up so from your trading you record. She'll still look like the Speaker of the House or the, the head of the, <laughs> the, the Democrats' House uh, caucus. Yeah, my wife doesn't know this about me, so it's going to be a talking point when we get home. Uh, okay. I mean, are you sure she's among the eight? Good point. It yeah. won't be a talking point when we get home. Nah, I, I, know, I know my wife isn't. But like I said, she <laughs> knows like AOC kind of does it for me. Um, all right, well... I think that closes it out, except for like the really big announcement. Really right? big announcement. Really huge, huge, huge announcement. I think we're getting fail and set sail pale ale done. I think nice. this is going to appear pretty soon. So, what do you think? Next episode? It depends. Like we got to jump through some hoops here because Texas, despite the freedom to you know, if not outright encouragement to own ICBMs mm -hmm. here. Um, they're kind of they're like really touchy about buying alcohol from out of state. Okay. So, um, so, so we, we gotta like muling it in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, we're like you know some people like putting it and sticking it up their ass. Yeah. This. Jeez. Uh, one at a time. This is gonna be pretty painful. I don't know, man. I mean, you know, yeah. dudes who've been to prison enough. It's you know, it works. Fair Bill Wong. Dude, no, the the Jong Wong ass watch guy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> The John Wong Asswatch guy. Dude, and that was aluminum as well, so it's a win-win. I mean, this is smoother. Like, I don't catch any of the sharp edges that you get uh, Dude, from, you know what I realized? You know, a watch. Mine was actually a, uh, it was a light. Uh-huh. Oh. You're such a little girl. Yeah. <laughs> let, let, me, let me show. Look at this. Look at this. You're sitting on a pillow it's the whole time. It's a posture time. thing, little, guys. Come girl. on, look at me here. It's a posture <laughs> thing. That's why you're drinking Smash and Grab light. Yeah, anyway. All right, till next time. Smash and grab. There you go, fail and set sail.